You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. Well, I'm moving on out, out of Florida, headed for Arizona, where we'll stay. Moving on out, out of Florida, to a place where it's okay to say gay. AZ didn't vote for the fascists, like Florida certainly did. I know things there won't be perfect. I'm really going to miss my kid. While we're driving cross country, there still are shows to be done. So I'm pulling interviews you may not have heard, and I hope you listen to everyone while we're moving on out. Out of Florida to Arizona where it's hot as hell. I'll take the sauna over the steam bath. To escape that Ron DeSantis fascist smell. Welcome to the end of the second week of the Nicole Sandler Show, Moving Mess Madness. By now, we should be in Arizona. Hopefully, we found a place to live, but honestly, who knows? Today, we go back in time. The interview coming up in the second half of the show took place on October 16th, 2008, just a few weeks before the 2008 presidential election that gave us President Obama. I was guest hosting the Tom Hartman show on Air America Radio, and Melissa Etheridge was my guest. But first, we'll travel back 10 years to this week in 2013 for a conversation with one of the world's foremost anti-nuclear voices, Dr. Helen Caldicott, a pediatrician from Australia who considers the planet her waiting room. One of our uh, lovely listeners, I believe it was Dwayne V in the chat, suggested that I try to get... Dr. Helen Caldicott on the show. Now, Helen Caldicott is the foremost voice from her website, the single most articulate and passionate advocate of citizen action to remedy the nuclear and environmental crisis uh, or crises because they they are multiple, right? She's devoted the last 38 years to an international campaign to educate the public about the medical hazards of the nuclear age and the necessary changes in human behavior to stop environmental destruction, right? I first heard of uh, Dr. Helen Caldicott when I, you know, probably right around 19, the late 70s during the no nukes 
era, I heard her name. And, and yes, from 1977 to 86, she had co-founded Physicians for Social Responsibility. Of course, she is a doctor herself. And as you'll hear in the interview, she says what she's doing in, in advocating or teaching all of us about the dangers of, of uh, nukes is as a doctor. She considers the world her emergency room. These days, she is the president of the Helen Caldicott Foundation uh, slash nuclearfreeplanet.org. That's where you can find her work. It's an educational outreach project that informs people of the dangers of nuclear power and nuclear weapons. I spoke with her Friday afternoon. It was Friday afternoon here. It was very, very early Saturday morning in Australia when I got uh, Dr. Helen Caldicott on the line. So um, let's uh, hear what she had to say. I've heard that sometime within the next 60 days, uh, TEPCO, uh, Tokyo Electric Power Company, um, will be uh, attempting to to start to remove the spent fuel rods from that crippled reactor number four, that that the Japanese government has just sort of ceded that to TEPCO, and that while, while the whole world is sort of not getting involved, there's a chance for something really horrific to happen there, isn't there? What What's the reality of what's happening at, at Fukushima? Okay, so um, three nuclear power reactors melted down, units one, two, and three. Unit four had just had its very, very hot, thermally hot, radioactively hot fuel removed from the reactor core just days before the earthquake and the tsunami, and it's been placed in a cooling pool 100 feet above the ground on the top of that building and there are over 100 tonnes of this extraordinarily hot radioactive fuel sitting there. Now, what happened was during the earthquake, Building 4 was quite severely damaged and it's tilting and leaning. It also is standing now uh, probably on mud because of all the water that's being pumped into the reactors to keep them cool and there are cracks and the whole thing's just a morass of mud really with the four reactors just standing there. Um, And they're very worried that if that building collapses, down will come a cooling pool with, you know, a reactor core in it virtually and then that could catch fire and release 10 times more cesium than was released at Chernobyl and huge amounts of radioactivity which would pollute much of the Northern Hemisphere. So what they've done is built a steel sort of reinforcement structure around Building 4 so that they can put a huge crane on top because the crane they had to remove the fuel rods uh, collapsed during the earthquake. Now. When you remove fuel rods from a cooling pool, it's a very delicate process. It's all organized by a computer um, and you have to be absolutely sure that no rods touch each other and there are millimeters of distance, I think, between, you know, the fuel bundles, etc. Now, there's no computer. This has to be done manually with a crane. No one can get near the rods because they would die within, they'd get a lethal dose within seconds really or a minute. And so also the rods are 
in a structure that has been damaged. The rods themselves probably are bent. And as Arnie Gunderson said, who's a nuclear engineer, if you try and pull a, a bent cigarette out of a cigarette pack, uh, you can't really do it and it could break. Or if the pack itself is damaged, right. the cigarettes could be damaged as, as you pull them out. So therefore, it's likely, possibly, that they'd pull a fuel rod out and it could crack, releasing a huge amount of what's called noble gases, which would be lethal and the site would have to be evacuated, number one. Number two, um, if any of the rods touch each other during this process, uh, criticality could be uh, achieved, which is when the atoms start breaking apart. Like in a nuclear weapon, only it will be a criticality that you get in a nuclear reactor, control criticality, probably. Um, and that would just, everyone would have to evacuate. Now, if people have to evacuate the site, then all hell will break loose because they, they work day and night to keep the molten cores cool by pumping in tons of water every day. Um, and keep the electricity going so the pumps work, etc., etc. Et so mm -hmm. if the site had to be evacuated, God knows what would happen. So <laughs> they're sort of standing on a knife edge between being able to do this, which no one's ever done this before, right. now, and it, catastrophe. So this is untested. I mean, this is, this is a catastrophe that we haven't seen, but one that you've been warning about for, for a number of decades. Um, this is reactor number four, building number four, that has, you know, the, 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 yeah. the fuel rod still in the pool, a hundred feet up in the air. Yeah. Uh, you know, at risk of any kind of, uh, you know, if, if they get hit by another earthquake, that building goes over and basically all hell breaks loose. That's right. right? Um, mm -hmm. the other, the yeah. reactors one, two, and three, though, um, we, we don't hear a whole lot about, but if I read your, uh, your articles correctly, those three reactors melted melted down. What what is that? Oh, yeah. What does that oh, yeah. mean now? We what? think we we think probably several have have, have produced the China syndrome, which is a term the nuclear industry uses. Which is, if you lose your cooling water, a hundred tons of hu highly radioactive, extremely hot nuclear fuel melts. And it will melt its way through the reactive vessel, which which happened, which is made of six inches of steel. So mm -hmm. that happened at units one, two, and three. Then that molten blob, which is sort of la larval in consistency, it's called corium, lands on the floor of the containment building, which is made of concrete. And then if it's hot enough, it can melt its way through the concrete into the earth. And they think that that has happened um, oh one God. or several of these reactor sites. Now, the thing is that Fukushima was built on the bed of an ancient river site. In fact, they say they diverted a river to build a reactor. Well, what is happening now is mountain water is pouring down, pouring down underneath the reactors, mixing with that molten fuel, oh, man. becoming extremely radioactive, and they're pumping out mm, about for 300 tonnes of that radioactive water a day and putting it in over a thousand huge tanks um, which were sort of put together in an emergency. Uh, the tanks have seals that are made of rubber mm -hmm. and corroded bolts 
and they're leaking now and leaking like very, very radioactive water such that if the workers stand near it for for too long, you know, they could get a lethal dose of radiation. Now, if there's another earthquake, those tanks, which are actually fairly fragile, could break. And all of that water, um, it, it's a huge amount, 360,000 tons, I think, oh of water goodness. currently is stored there, would go in straight into the Pacific Ocean, um, uh, plus building four would go down, plus those other three buildings have already been damaged by the earthquake units, one, two, and three. One or several of those could collapse because they were damaged and because now they all stand on this sort of liquefied mud underneath the reactors because of the water pouring down from the mountain. Wow. You know, so this is you know, really, I mean, close to the worst-case scenario. I mean, it is the worst-case scenario. The only thing that would make it worse is a total collapse, which could happen with another earthquake. The bottom oh, line, sure. one of the reasons you and, and so many others have been warning for so many years that the dangers with, with a nuclear power, a nuclear power plant, is the the um, disposal of the waste. And, and this is a perfect point you can't nobody no human being can get near it to to do anything with it is there any way to contain uh, uh, fukushima as it is i mean right now we no there's no way they can contain it and this has never happened before right so it's not in the textbooks the nuclear engineers don't know what to do tepco is an operating company i mean it it's a power company right Flicks the switches. They are not nuclear engineers, and because of the great pride the Japanese have, they haven't invited the international community in to help until this time, which is two and a half years after the original accident, when they their pride has been injured a bit, and they've now asked for international help. But it's not happening now. The Japanese government said, "Well, I'll spend more money helping Tepco, but because they want to start." their reactors around the country, but that won't help. Uh, no one knows what to do. Now, uh, there I've, is nothing to do. Right. I've it, written an article saying that, you know, this. they say they'll clean it up within 50 years. I think they never will. Right. Never. Now, my friend Harvey Wasserman, who's been very involved in the, nuke free, uh, the, the no nukes movement over here, uh, wrote, uh, he edits um, nukefree.org, and he put up a petition, you know, that, that he's hoping people will sign on to, asking the U.N. to step in and say, look, TEPCO is not... Um, capable of dealing with this, and the Japanese government is not capable of dealing with this. The, the world community needs to come in and yeah. and take over this this job because it's too big and and too dangerous. Well, and, one of the reasons that your nuclear regulatory commission and your nuclear power industry is not helping is because they want to keep this under covers. Well, that's they don't it, want right? people to know how bad this is because they want to keep you know. <clears throat> their nuclear industry alive and, and, and kicking. So therefore, there's a reluctance to actually admit what is going on, which is, <laughs> it's like I've got a patient in the intensive care unit who's critically ill. And I don't want really people to know because this patient has maybe typhoid or something and other patients might catch right. it. Therefore, right. I'm, not go- I'm going to kind of ignore that patient and not look after that patient because I don't want anyone else to know about it. And that, that's really the, the, the situation. And, and we're talking about global public health now. This is, 
an issue which, you know, stems from lack of engineering ability and from earthquakes and natural disasters, but it is a major, huge public health problem that is in motion. Of course. Now, were you, uh, Dr. Helen Caldicott is with us, and she's on the phone with us from Australia. I so appreciate uh, you, you joining us to talk about the severity of the situation. Um, were you as surprised and astounded as I was when uh, the Olympic Organizing Committee announced that the 2020 Summer Olympics would be in Tokyo? Oh, yes. My teeth nearly fell out, except I don't have false teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was astounded yes. uh, because, look, that's 2020. This is now... That's seven years ago. That's seven years from 2013. now. 2013. Yes. seven years. I mean, <clears throat> already, let me tell you, parts of Tokyo are extremely radioactive um, from, from the original accident, and it's very possible. It's on the cards that um, Tokyo could be very contaminated by them. Right. I mean, they say if there's another earthquake and building four collapses, they might have to evacuate Tokyo with oh, 35 million people. Well, you can't do that, of course. That's an impossibility. Right. But um, I, it's, it's, uh, it's a fantasy thing to think you could have the Olympics in 2020 right. in Tokyo. Uh, uh, it's astounding. And, and yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I was shocked and I wasn't surprised. I mean, I saw I saw the column you wrote uh, on that as well. And I'll, I'll put links to your uh, website and your columns on my blog at RadioOrNot.com. It'll be up after the show. Uh, Dr. Helen Caldicott is with us. Um, uh, you run the Helen Caldicott Foundation uh, and uh, you do a lot of writing at Nuclear freeplanet.org and that's where a lot of these articles are. I got to ask, you know, the the um the the, the Fukushima plant uh, uh was actually that wasn't that designed by General Electric? Don't we in the US have plants that are operating still running yeah, you've today got that 23 are 23 similar plants. Similar, right? Now, that are also those, beyond their uh, expiration date, yeah. aren't they? You've got 23 Mark 1 <clears throat> GE reactors. Um, but I knew the three nuclear engineers who designed those reactors, uh-huh. <clears throat> and they resigned from GE in 1975 and testified before the Congress saying that these reactors are basically dangerous and unsafe. Wow. I think the boss at GE said, we can't admit that they're unsafe because that'll mean the end of the nuclear industry. I'm not quoting him correctly, mm-hmm. but virtually he said right. that. So we've got to keep going. Uh, these people, I mean, I, I don't know where their heads are, but they, they, they know how extraordinarily dangerous this industry is. And even if there's no accident, you've got 70,000 tons of high-level radioactive waste with nowhere to put it. Mm-hmm. Wherever you put it, um, any container lasts less than 100 years. It must be stored isolated from the ecosphere, says your EPA, for a million years. And as these containers rust, leak, crack, the radiation will leak out like it's doing at Fukushima and get into your water supply. It will concentrate in the food chain so people will wake up in the morning, generations hence, their breast milk already radioactive because mm-hmm. they're eating radioactive food, their babies being born deformed because they're exposed to radioactive elements in utero, um, children born with genetic diseases like cystic fibrosis, diabetes, hemophilia. There are over 6,000 such diseases. Now radiation changes the genes in the 
sperm and eggs producing genetic diseases and children will probably be getting cancer at the age of six instead of 60 oh. because they're exposed to radiation so early in life. That's the legacy. Right. That's the legacy. Now we are leaving our descendants. Oh, sure. It's insane. I mean, there, and there are so many problems. I mean, here in the U.S., thankfully, there hasn't been a new nuclear power plant built in, in a number of years. And part of the reason for that is certainly no bank will uh, finance such a thing. Mm-hmm. And the only way to get it done is through government uh, guarantees on the loans. And in the last time they tried that, there were massive protests and it was kind of shut down. But the problem <laughs> that, that that spawns is that we have a lot of nuclear power plants still in operation that had a, a shelf life, if you will, of 30 or 40 years. And they're operating a, a decade or more past that date, that obsolescence date, yes, aren't you're, they? You're correct about that. Um, and also they're pushing the power up. Instead of having only 3% enriched uranium, they're putting in 4.5% enriched uranium to pump out electricity. And that causes the reactor to vibrate for pipes which are brittle from neutron, neutron radiation to crack and, and burst uh, and parts of the reactor to fall apart. And you see that the utilities, they make a million dollars a day by selling you electricity. Sure. Um, they didn't pay to build the reactors, you did. Right. It's a socialized industry. <laughs> yeah. uh, like your Pentagon is a socialized yeah. killing yeah. Absolutely. Um, And yet you don't have socialized medicine. Isn't that amazing? Takes my breath away. Right. I call it opposite world. We do everything. It's back. Everything is backwards. The opposite of socialized killing and nuclear power, nuclear weapons in the Pentagon. I mean, and and you've got to look after yourself if you get sick and most people can't afford it. Now, uh, Dr. Caldecott, you know, you mentioned um, the people obviously in Japan, and, and Fukushima is, I, I'm guessing, you know, did, did they um, evacuate the area surrounding Fukushima? What, what about the people living there? And then the second part of the question is, um, obviously so much of this contaminated water, radioactive water has been dumped in, it's gone out, either dumped or, or leaked into the Pacific Ocean, that is going to make its way into the food chain, isn't it? Or yeah. has it already? Okay, so <clears throat> they evacuated people for about 10 miles in the radius around the reactor, 160,000, and they're now living in little humpies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not really being looked after. Um, people evacuated themselves and fled into the path of the highest concentration of radiation because although the Americans were measuring the radiation and so were the Japanese, the Japanese government didn't tell the people where it went because they didn't want to, quote, cause panic, create panic. Now, very large parts of Fukushima are heavily contaminated. People are living in areas which the Russians, after Chernobyl, Evacuated. Right. So they're living in highly contaminated oh areas. Children are 10 to 20 times more sensitive to radiation than adults. Fetuses, thousands of times more so. Uh, the people are eating radioactive food. Um, <clears throat> they pick the rice, and if it's radioactive, they dilute it with non-radioactive rice. Uh, and that doesn't work because it reconcentrates back in the body, radioactive elements. Um, and And... A large part of Japan actually is now contaminated, it will be for hundreds of years, mm. like 
40% of Europe is contaminated from Chernobyl and will be for hundreds of years. So um, we're already seeing probably about 44 cases of childhood thyroid cancer amongst the Fukushima children. Uh, thyroid cancer is, is extremely rare. It's about one in a million cases. Um, and now we're seeing 44 cases. That's just the tip of the iceberg of an epidemic of cancer and leukemia, which will almost certainly occur, plus some deformed babies. Now, they, TEPCO recently admitted, because most of this has been covered up, that they've been about 300 tonnes of highly radioactive water has been sluicing into the Pacific Ocean ever since the accident two and a half years ago. <sighs> And it continues, and the radioactive water that goes in the Pacific is becoming more and more radioactive. Um, and the plumes are expected to reach the west coast of Canada and America uh, by early next year. Uh, California, it will be towards the end of next year. Oh, my goodness. The fish concentrate the radiation for instance, the algae suck up, I'll just use one element, there are several hundred radioactive elements in the radioactive waste. Some last seconds and some last millions of years, but let's say there are about a hundred. Many of them have not been studied to see where they go in the food chain or the biological cycle, but just let's take cesium, which lasts for 300 years, an extraordinarily carcinogenic material. It concentrates by orders of magnitude 10 to 100 times in the algae, then further in the crustaceans which eat the algae, further in the little fish which eat the crustaceans, further in the big fish. Mm -hmm. Already a tuna have been found off the coast of Anaheim uh, with cesium in them which emanated from Fukushima. And so not just will the radioactive plume in the water hit the west coast but also... Uh, the fish are going to become radioactive. Mm. And the EPA at the moment is not, or FDA is not testing the fish, not testing your food, nor is it testing the air, which it should be, because if a catastrophe breaks out in Fukushima, as we've been talking about, you'll, you'll get a hell of a lot of radiation dumped on you mm -hmm. uh, from, from Fukushima. And there should be monitors that monitor the air every day um, and that information should be made public and, uh, and, and registered continu continuously, but they're not doing it. Wow. Why aren't they doing it? Because I don't think they want to know. Right. Uh, no, they don't want it because with the cause I, I, I guess the one they still want to build more nuclear power plants here, and two, um, uh, the, what are they going to do about it? Um, it's it's frightening, uh, Doctor Caldicott. I, I got to ask about the beginning of your career as a as an anti nuclear activist because you started out as a physician. And well, I am still a you physician. Are, exactly. and I'm not an anti nuclear activist. Okay. I'm a physician practicing global preventive medicine. Okay. How many children have I helped to die from cystic fibrosis? How many patients have I helped to die from cancer? My father died of cancer at the age of 51 in three mm. weeks, I think induced by asbestos. So I'm practicing preventive medicine. Okay. Um, and it's, it, this is a medical issue. It is. It's nothing else. It's a medical issue. 
we described in Physicians for Social Responsibility the medical effects of nuclear war, which caused 80% of Americans to rise up and be opposed to the nuclear arms race. That was the second American revolution. Mm. We described the medical effects of nuclear power um, and of radioactive waste. This is just like talking about polio or tetanus or typhoid or any other disease. Right. Except this is deadlier. Um, deadlier. But it takes a long time to incubate cancer, like about right. you know, five to 80 years. So you don't know which cancers are caused by radiation and which are not. Uh, but cancers are dread. I just have to tell you, it's a dreadful disease. It's painful. It's debilitating. It's demeaning. Uh, it's it's just horrible. Now, and we can't cure it. Mostly, right. we can't cure cancer. Now, uh, but Three Mile Island was. Um, is that what opened your eyes about? You know about? No, no, or? no, no, no. I, okay. I, when I was about sixteen, I read a book called On the Beach by Neville Shute about a nuclear war that killed everyone in the world except mm. in Melbourne, which is where I lived. And gradually the radiation came down and everyone died, and that was the end of life on Earth. So that marred my soul. I lost my virginity. I knew then that the world was in great jeopardy, and it has been ever since. Then I went to medical school at 17 mm. and learned about the medical about uh, Muller, who irradiated Drosophila fruit flies and produced mutations with crooked wings, and you can see that now in the butterflies around uh, Chernobyl and Fukushima, and that radiation damages the very building blocks of life, and so those genes get passed on generation to generation. And so I knew when I was 17 what all this meant. Right. And then I read a book called Poison Power by Goffman and Tamplin, who worked at the Atomic Energy Commission, and Goffman was a physician, a wonderful man, talking about nuclear power. And, you know, I've always known about this. And, and you've been... my medical education. Right, right, and sounding the alarm for so many years. And, um, mm. you know, and to see this happen after Three Mile Island, after Chernobyl, um, to just put it in perspective, um, it, it, where things are in Fukushima right now compared to Chernobyl, what's the comparison there? Oh, it's worse. It's much worse. Chernobyl Already. was absolutely ghastly. And yes. And, uh, and a report from the New York Academy of Sciences says that by now over a million people have died as a result of Chernobyl. You should get that report. Um, it's extraordinarily over a million people. And, and the, the scariest thing I think I've ever read in my medical career is called Chernobyl from the New York Academy of Sciences. But this, this is worse because there are three reactors which have melted down there and there were four explosions. One may be a nuclear explosion, the other's hydrogen explosions. But this, you know, Chernobyl stopped burning and it's now sort of a radioactive mausoleum and it's quiet. Mm -hmm. But these reactors are not quiet oh. and they're polluting, you know, millions of gallons of water and it's, there's no end in sight to this, you see. There was an end in sight to Chernobyl, there is not an end in sight for Fukushima. And... You know, nuclear engineers are saying that, and I, I predict they'll never be able to fix it. Wow, wow, I, I, it's it's frightening, and I wish the world would stand up and take notice. Um, mm. And it's very frustrating. In Australia, 
does is the media covering this at all? I mean, do you do you hear? Well, about first this? of all, the uranium fuel in the reactors was Australian uranium. Oh, oh, no, the media oh. is totally ignoring it. Well, oh. you know, seventy five percent of our media is owned by Murdoch. Right. So you oh, say yes. no more. Hello. Yes. <coughs> yeah, We've we can got thank a you for terribly, that. Terribly, huh? terribly conservative government that's just mm-hmm. been elected, which mm-hmm. takes my breath away. I'm ashamed to be an Australian. We have thirty to forty percent of the world's uranium. Uh, and they they exporting it all over the world. I'm ashamed and embarrassed to be an Australian at this point in time. Well, I'm with you because I am often ashamed and embarrassed to be an American. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, you know, people of the world have to get together and and try to do something. Um, I like the the recommendation that the world community. Uh, you know, the the best nuclear minds in the world, scientists, get together and figure out the best way to deal with Fukushima because without the best, um, even with the best, it, it, there could still be uh, the unthinkable. Um, and if they and if they just let TEPCO deal with it, I think we're in for another even bigger Well, TEPCO disaster. is trying to save money all the time of and course. they're bringing in homeless people from the streets <sighs> of uh, Tokyo and mentally ill people to run those, you know, the safety systems there, and they're running out of human bodies because they're all being exposed to high levels of radiation continuously, and they're cutting corners. I mean, they've got um, plastic piping held together with duct tape. It's just, and a rat uh, ate through the electricity Mm. supply recently, and so all the pumps were turned off for 30 hours, and there could have been another... A catastrophe occurring. I mean, you, you you can't imagine what's going on there. Oh, it, it's it's stunning. So, <clears throat> I mean, is there any any cause for hope? Do you do you feel like? Can well, we, can at we... last, the Japanese government is relenting and saying that they will ask for outside help. Okay. Arnie Gunderson says Bechtel, which is a huge nuclear power engineering company, which was run by George Shultz, who was Secretary of State years ago, um, that if if they were invited in, they might have the know-how to to help somehow to alleviate the situation. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Helen Caldicott, um, you're going to be back over here in the States. I, I know, uh, I think you're speaking somewhere over here on November 4th. The, the date. Yes, I'm addressing the American Public Health Association in Boston on November the 4th. Right. That's my birthday, so it, it stuck with me. Ah. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I thank you so much for the work that you've been doing uh, and, and continue to do. I <laughs> wish more people would listen and heed the call. I just know, you know, the times when I'm, when I'm on the air and taking phone Phone calls and we get on the subject of climate change. And today, uh, the UN released their climate control uh, report, the one did like every six years, and now they're saying that with extreme confidence that human activity is the dominant yeah. cause of global warming. Okay, I, I, got it. And so when I have these discussions on the air, people will invariably call in and, and say, well, that's why we need nuclear. Um, do you want to tell them that nuclear power is more dangerous oh, than for fossil fuels? sake. <laughs> <laughs> it's like trying to uh, uh, stop a smoker smoking by by turning him into an alcoholic, yeah, right. uh, or vice versa. A nuclear power in its own right is a massive contributor to global warming gases because of the amount of fossil fuel that's used to mine the uranium, millet, and richard. Uh, a lot of CFC gas is produced in the enrichment process, which is 
20,000 times more potent at a global warmer than CO2. I could go on and on, tr- sure. um, decommissioning the reactors, storing waste for a million years. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, you don't replace one wicked uh, way of producing electricity with another. And the truth is, I commissioned a report called Carbon Free Nuclear Free years ago, and you can download that, Carbon Free Nuclear Free. By 2030, if America pulled its finger out, it could um, power its whole system with renewable energy. Every house in America should be a solar house, solar hot water. Every parking lot should be solar, so you have solar-driven cars. Uh, You should have windmills everywhere. You won't need to upgrade your grid. You waste 28% of the electricity you currently use. Just turn off your... You know, your air conditioners right. and don't use clothes dryers anymore, hang your clothes outside to dry with a nuclear reactor in the sky. I could go on and on, but download uh, Carbon Free Nuclear Free by Dr. Arjun Makajani, and the that's the prescription for survival. Okay. Well, I, I will look that up and I will uh, mm. link to it as well. Uh, Dr. Helen Caldicott, I can't, can't thank you enough. Do you think that this planet will be around for our grandchildren? I can't say. I've got seven grandchildren, and I took the Hippocratic Oath, and all the world's children are potentially my patients. And I can't say. If we do nothing, it's going to be six degrees hotter by the end of this century, and that's antithetical to human life. And I I don't see governments doing anything about it at all. Nothing. So we need to change the governments. We elect them to represent us and to look after us. Instead, they look after the Pentagon. Yeah, and they look after their, their pocketbooks. And the utilities yes. and the coal industry, the fossil fuel industries. We have to stop burning coal now. We have to stop burning fossil fuels now if we want our grandchildren to survive. We have to stop burning coal now. We have to stop burning fossil fuels now if we want our children and our grandchildren to survive. I figured that was a good place to uh, end the discussion, absolutely frightening. And I hope it scared the shit out of you. That interview that I did with uh, Dr. Helen Caldicott, again, I spoke with her. It was Thursday, it was, sorry, Friday afternoon here. It was early, early Saturday morning, like 7 a.m. in Australia, where Helen Caldicott is. That video is now up on YouTube. I hope you will share it, share it uh, far and wide. Everyone should hear what she has to say. And and the really sickening thing, and it is sickening, is that the entire world's media is ignoring this story. It's ignoring just how tenuous the situation is, just how frightening, just how close we are to really destroying life on the planet. Dr. Helen Caldicott, in an interview that took place on September 30th, 2013, So 10 years ago tomorrow, sadly, not a whole lot has changed. We also now find ourselves in election time. It's primary season for the 2024 presidential elections. Our next interview takes us back to just weeks before the 2008 presidential election. I was guest hosting the Tom Hartman show on Air America Radio and Melissa Etheridge joined me for a chat. Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Oh, sure. I wish I could help you out tomorrow, but it's my kid's birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday. Guess what? My birthday is November 4th. 
Oh, cool. Oh, good. <laughs> That's a good time. Well, you know, Ronald Reagan was elected president on my 21st birthday. <laughs> so I think it's about time for to go full circle and, and pay back now. Oh, this is it, man. Right? So wow. Barack Obama elected president on my 49th birthday. It's just happy. It, it's karma, birthday. right? <laughs> it's got to happen. It's happening. It's, it's going to happen. Well, it's so good to hear from you. We, you know, we spoke many times years ago in Los Angeles when I, when I was doing music radio. And now that I find myself doing political talk and dealing, not, not to say that music's not important because it's, I mm-hmm. think, vastly important in our lives. Mm-hmm. But with, um, the the way the world has deteriorated, especially in the last eight years, um, this is something that directly impacts each and every one of us. And we're both involved in a different way in, in politics, trying to affect change in the world. And you've been out there. I, I was thrilled to see you at the Democratic Convention performing. And you did such a magnificent medley of songs. Uh, did you have you been performing that was God Bless America, The Times They Are Changing, Give Peace a Chance, and Born in the USA? And I just love, did you do that specifically for the convention, or is that something you've been doing? Oh, no, I've never done that before. Specifically for the convention, I felt like this was a moment in history. One, I, I totally felt a part of history, and that, that's an amazing feeling. And I hope that we can all feel that way on November 4th or before. You know, if you can get out and vote early, do it. Um, yet I think we're all in the midst of history right now, and I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there not because I'm a celebrity or a musician. I wanted to be there because I am a an American citizen. I'm a mother. I'm a person that is very concerned about this country. I love this country so much. It has given me... I mean, where else could a big old lesbian, you know, a woman become a rock star, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> Only in America. Uh-huh. And And... I love this country for that, and I know we can all do better. And I, I loved when Barack said we can do better, and that's why I showed up. And I and I made the the medley because I, I it wasn't about me. I didn't want to you know do come to my window or something. Mm-hmm. That that's not right. I wanted to be a part of what was going on. I wanted to inspire. I wanted to try to touch upon the feelings that were there. And God bless America. First of all, I, I'm just tired of people saying that the Democratic Party or liberals in general are godless. Mm -hmm. It's not true. We're very spiritual people, and we do, we have a God, and we believe in in this spirit, in this God, and and we want this God, this spirit, to bless America. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, this, it's, it, that came from my heart. I wanted to first, you know, pronounce that. I wanted to say we are a, 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 a party with spirit. And then um, the times they are changing, I wanted to remind those of us and, and others who are older than me that, that this has been going on for a while. For 40, 50 years, we've been trying to, to bring a peaceful change to our country and to the world. And it's the same message. It hasn't gone away. It's the same thing we've been, we've been negotiating and fighting and, and trying to, to bring this change about. And it's, it's, that's what it is. That's why I did the times they are changing and mm-hmm. give peace a chance. It's like, that's what we're talking about. These things didn't go away. Bob Dylan, John Lennon, those things are just as um, important today as they were then. And then born in the USA, you know, we are proud. We're proud American citizens. And we know that we are making an historical change, an historical statement, electing Barack Obama to be our candidate, it 
and I just I, I wanted a, I wanted everyone to be able to stand there and sing "Born in the USA." I was born in the USA mm-hmm. and, and sing it with with pride and, and hope. And this time it's okay. I mean, you got to remember back in the eighties. Of I course, know. I just said <laughs> Reagan elected on my twenty first birthday. Yikes! Yeah. Um, and he tried to uh, hijack that song, and Bruce said, "Uh uh-uh. uh." Uh uh-uh. uh, and uh, yeah. that's happening a lot this year. We're having McCain trying to use a lot of musician songs, and we're getting a lot of uh uh's. And I loved, I loved Ann and Nancy oh, Wilson. That letter was the best before the convention was over. Had a, a cease and desist <laughs> oh. on do you may not use Barracuda, <laughs> and they've it still done it. But I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm loving it. I'm loving that artists are using their voices. To, yeah. to speak out. Um, you know, I sort of bemoaned the lack of protest music over the last decade yeah. or so uh, because it, it's been absent. And you hear a lot of the Republicans just saying, well, those people, they're just, you know, they're just musicians or actors. And what right do they have to speak out? And I think, my God, these are the people who know how to use their voices to, um, to, to say things, to impart a message in a wonderful way. And, and you're the ones who should be speaking out and using your celebrity and using your talent to put forth these messages. So I love that you're doing it. I love that Bruce and Springsteen, and Billy Joel are doing concerts for Obama. James yeah. Taylor just announced he's playing five free concerts in North Carolina to support right Obama. Bob Dylan, who you know has always been known sort of as a political poet, I just heard has never, had never before endorsed a presidential candidate until now, and he endorsed Barack Obama. And I love hearing this. It gives me chills. Well, there's, there's a feeling in, in the entertainment community I think in the entertainment industry, we have seen our industry sort of float off into this fantasy Paris Hilton, Britney Spears world. And those of us who write from our hearts and souls and from what's happening, and and, and we uh, we are mirrors of society, we um, have become very alarmed and when we saw the crucifixion of the dixie chicks you know mm-hmm. it's like wow we this is important and these people who have been pillars of of the musical society and industry uh, come forth and said no this is the single most important election in our lifetime we're showing up and being there and it's so great and it is the single most important election in our lifetimes and the fact that you know, no matter who was your first choice in the primary season, we have a wonderful candidate in Barack Obama. And I think, you know, just watching him last night in the debate, I, I was so proud. I mean, seeing the comparing the two sitting side by side, it, it just it's mind blowing. And you mentioned something at the beginning of this conversation about how you know a lesbian can become a rock star only in America. Well, how amazing is it that America is the first country, the first uh, Western democratically controlled country to, knock on wood, elect a, yes. a black man as, as president, as their leader. I mean, look how far we've come in such a short time. That's what I think we need to hold on to. Mm-hmm. We have been so fearful that, that we're going to just slide. We, we've seen the, the floor fall out below us in these last eight years. And then it's filled with fear, 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 every day, just the red alert and the fear and, 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 and going, like calling us backwards, supposed to go backward. And even through that, we have 
used our democracy to find what we believe to be the best candidate to bring this country forward. And it's an African-American. Mm-hmm. And we have overcome our incredibly difficult racial divides that go back thousands of years. You know, it's just unbelievable what we, that this root, the, we pulled this fear system out by its roots and said, nope, we know this is the best guy and that's what America is about, that you are judged by your character, mm-hmm. not by what you look like or your sexual preference or your religion anything right now it's about you we've still got a long way to go i mean hearing just some of the attitudes out there but the fact that that today barack obama is 14 points ahead in the cbs la times poll or whatever is is you know what we can do this i was honestly a little worried when it was apparent that he was going to be the nominee saying i know we've come a long way but are we there yet well that's that's the fear that's the thing that i that I often find myself telling people, I tell my mother who grew up in the, the southern, in southern Arkansas, she goes, you know, Melissa, I know people that just, they won't vote for a black man. Mm-hmm. I say, Mom, what's going to happen is, what this it's like we're going through a big group therapy or something. It brings these hidden, deep, dark, irrational fears to the surface. To the surface. We have to confront this. Really, are you going to go in that polling booth Knowing that the last eight years have we've slid into economic despair, into our standing in the world is just horrible. Mm-hmm. Are, are you really going to push the button for the other guy just because you can't vote for a skin color? That you're going to have to confront your own racism and and your inner racism. I know this from being a homosexual, and sometimes the well, most of the time, the most um, you know, hard people that are, are homophobic, it, it's their own inner homophobia. It's mm-hmm. that they have to come to grips with that. And I think this is going to heal our country. I think we're going to shoot forward in such a huge way. It's going to break through so many old fear boxes that we've been in. Well, I certainly hope so. Melissa Etheridge is with us here. It's the Tom Hartman Show on Air America Radio. I'm Nicole Sandler in for Tom today. And, you know, back to tolerance. Tolerance is so important. And I'm hoping that it will, as you said, it's bringing the the discussion out into the open. It's making people confront their fears and their prejudices. Even if they hadn't wanted to believe things about themselves before, it's making them stand up and take notice. Now, you're in, in California. I happen to be in Florida right now. And we both, both of our states have constitutional amendments on the ballot dealing with gay marriage. You, I believe in California, it's Proposition 8. Here in Florida, it's Amendment Number 2. Um, a lot of times they put these things on the ballot to try to get those uh, intolerant people out there to vote against, you know, God forbid, the gay people should be allowed to marry, and then <laughs> figure that they'll vote for them, the Republican candidate as well. But because so many people, I believe, are confronting these inner demons and these prejudices, maybe they're taking a step back and saying, wait a minute, what, what am I looking, what am I doing here? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm hoping. And it's, it's, so, it's so sad to see, you know, the movement uh, moving ahead and, and the, you know, the, the homosexual movement, the gay movement, or whatever this is, the tolerance movement, 
we get these speed bumps all the time, and this is moving forward. You can't put this back in the box. You can't say equality for some. It doesn't. That's not the way it works. And this will, it will eventually come to pass where gay people will get married. And I know I'm going to tell my grandchildren, oh, the old days mm-hmm. when we were crazy. And, and I know that's coming. And it's hard. The change is hard. And the, the hateful people, the fearful people come out. The Mormon church is pumping millions of dollars into this um, Proposition 8 Ugh. in California. And the, the ads they're running, are they turn my stomach. It's so sad what they're really pushing. And a lot of fearful people may come out and, and pass it. And you know what? But it's just a speed. It will happen. We will have gay marriage. You know, we will have just marriage equality. It's not even gay marriage. It's marriage equality. And, you know, that's racial equality, marriage equality. It's all coming. I, I certainly hope so. I mean, here in Florida, I, I don't know if you remember years ago when I was still in L.A., I adopted my daughter as a single mother. Um, I happen to be straight. It shouldn't make a difference. But here in Florida, it's one of a handful of states in the country that does not allow gay adoptions. They allow yeah. gays to be foster parents. But God forbid you, how dare you try to make it legal? Why should I be allowed to adopt, but a gay couple who can actually provide a two-parent home to a child can't? But again, I I think it it is sort of baby steps, and maybe we're moving in the right direction, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, these are, it's, it's fearful people that keeping these things in position. And you see, I mean, Massachusetts, They've had gay marriage now for how many years? And I don't see it falling into the ocean yet. No, know? I, I, don't, I don't, didn't see the world explode. I didn't haven't, see... Haven't met a, a straight couple that said it's hurt their marriage or anything. Right. No, you know? no. It, these are just changes, and these are big changing times. And I have, I have faith and hope in our, in our country. I believe in our, in our people, and I believe in our democracy, and I believe in our Constitution completely. Oh, I do too, and it's great to hear you say that. You have an event coming up Wednesday night in Cleveland. When we last spoke, you you were on my radio show with me in Miami. Uh, along, I, I don't know that you knew I was going to have Dennis Kucinich on as well, and I, I kind of no. did a three-way call. Um, and you were a big supporter of Dennis's in the, in the primary, and you're doing an evening of conversation with Dennis and Elizabeth Kucinich Wednesday, October 22nd, and all the details are on your website at uh, melissaetheridge.com, and I'll, I'll post that link on my blog at radioornot.com as well. But what's this about? Well, thank you for that. This is about Dennis Kucinich. He is one of the most important members of Congress that we have right now. There are very few, a handful of progressive congressmen and senators out there, and so often I'm disappointed in my Democratic Party when they when they go to the center, when they go conservative, when they're when they're moderate, when they when they vote fear, and when they just do the right political thing rather than yes. the right thing. The right exactly when they just lay down, it it makes me crazy. Mm-hmm. And Dennis is so important to have there in Congress. He speaks the truth. He gets up. I mean. Go to YouTube and just YouTube any of his little one-minute things that he gets up. Before this this horrible bailout bill, Mm -hmm. he got up and he said, we are doing the wrong thing. We are being rushed. We are being threatened. I mean, he speaks the truth. And this man, we need him in the Congress to 
keep the truth in the in the to keep our democratic party on on track. I agree, and he is being uh, challenged with a, a lot of money behind these challengers. They oh, want well, him out of there because they know they want him out of there. It's not mm-hmm. just about Ohio or Cleveland. No, it's about him in the Congress. Yep. I know, and and so it's so important, and I, I love that you're doing this. And again, I'll put the link on on my blog at radioornot.com. And again, all the information is at melissaetheridge.com. And if you are in the Cleveland area, it is uh, at the Cleveland Public Theater Wednesday night, October twenty second, evening of conversation with Melissa Etheridge and Dennis and Elizabeth Kucinich. Now you're already looking forward to uh, the holidays. You've got a new album out, huh? Yeah, I've got a Christmas album. It's a holiday album. It's it's called A New Thought for Christmas. It's along the same line as, as we were just speaking, you know, this, the sort of politics and music and spirit, it all combines into one. And there's uh, this, this album has like uh, five sort of standard tracks, some rock and roll, uh, some Blue Christmas, some, you know, Baby Please Come Home, these um, you know, Christmas tracks. And then I wrote some new songs with a lot of this um, spirit in mind, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to do a Christmas album because some of the things I've been, you know, since I've gone through cancer and since I've uh, been out there the last few years, so sort of this this new thought that I have um, come to know and come to be, and it it is uh, on my album. So it's a lot of different stuff. It's sort of a Christmas album for the rest of us, <laughs> outside of that sort of religiosity that gets involved sometimes. Because I know people like the holiday season; mm-hmm. they don't always like to you know, get caught up in all the dogma that, that comes around it. And I, the truth is, the holidays were there long before Christianity was even born. You know, we've had this this um, holiday, the, the winter solstice. It, it, we've always celebrated it this time. So I'm, I'm trying to sort of bring that about. Right, and embracing the peace on earth aspect of, of the Christmas season. That's and right. I if we're that. talking about peace... If you know why, just do a platitude of "oh, peace on earth." No, it's it's let's really concentrate on it. Let's spend this time of year concentrating on peace on earth. So we're actually um, there's a song on it called "Ring the Bells" mm-hmm. that I uh, wrote with uh, this. Uh, he's a Sufi Muslim from Pakistan, and his name is Salman Ahmed, and he has a band called Janoon, and they're like the U2 of the the Muslim world. Wow. And I met him at the uh, peace, the Nobel Peace Prize concert for Al Gore, mm-hmm. and we got together and we wrote this song together. And it's about peace. It's about bridging past our differences and understanding that we are human beings and we we are here to take care of this earth and and to throw the fear away. And once I I understood the Muslim world, it's a beautiful beautiful religion and spirituality and yet they have their crazy fundamentalists just, just like, like we the do. christian religion just does like Gee, we do go yeah. figure and it's the same basic hope for the world and for humankind and we come together and we've made this song and um deepak chopra has uh, adopted it with his alliance for new humanity and we're going to come we're going to do a uh, ring the bells for peace day which is december 21st if you go to the website, ringthebellsforpeace.com, oh, it might be .org, I, I don't know. I I'll find it, and I'll put Please, the link I'm up, sorry. too. No problem. <laughs> it's so confusing. But um, if you go to that website, you'll find it. It's, it's December 21st. It's the winter solstice. 
all around the world. We're going to bring Hindus and Jews and Muslims and Christians and anybody of any age and faith. We're all going to ring the bells on that day to try to to try to bring um, forth unity. And hopefully we'll have a new president then and a new beginning here in this country and try to bring us back from the abyss that we've been sunk into over the last we eight will. years. We will. We will. I think we had to go to this deep, dark bottom to know how much we have to, how far we have to go and what yeah. we have to do. Yeah. All right, Melissa Etheridge, thank you so much for uh, for talking to me today. Uh, it's a great honor for me to sit in Tom Hartman's seat or speak oh, into I his proverbial Tom ma- I'm microphone. Just, I'm He's, very honored to be on his show and to be with you. And thank you for all to all the wonderful people that listen and are making change in the world. Keep it up. You're not alone. I know sometimes it feels that way. <laughs> You're not alone. We, there's more of us than you know. We're making a change. And, and we we're going to make our voices heard on November 4th, yes. loud and clear, not only here, but around the world. Yes, we are. We are. Melissa Etheridge, always great to talk to you. And, thank uh, you. And happy birthday to your little one tomorrow. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Bye. And the rest, as they say, is history. Melissa Etheridge from 2008, Dr. Helen Caldicott from 2013. I'm Nicole Sandler, hopefully soon to move into a new home in Arizona. But we're not there yet. So next week, we'll do it again. There should be a full calendar of which interviews are running each day at NicoleSandler.com. And while you're there, please consider making a donation to help support the show. Either way, have a great weekend. I'll see you Monday.